Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Allison Pinches, and I'm one of the pastoral staff here at Courtright. And it is good to be together with some of you in the room here and some of you at home, wherever you are. Thank you for being with us this morning. This morning, we are concluding our series on worship. So over the number of weeks, we've been examining the various aspects of our worship service, considering why do we do what we do? What's the significance of each part of the service? Why do we start with a psalm? And what's with that prayer that talks about confessing our sins? Why do we have a sermon and so forth? So far, we have looked at the call to worship, confessing, listening, thanking, and for this week, we are examining the very end of our service, the commissioning or sending and the benediction. And believe it or not, it's not just the cue that the service is done and you can get up and leave. There is actually more significance to it. So this morning, we're going to look at two texts. The first will help us to understand the benediction, what it is. And the second is a story of how one man is struggling to live out the commission and benediction. Would you join with me in prayer? Lord, would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth that you have for us today? For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So our passage, first of all, this morning is Numbers 6, 22 to 27. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. On March 6, 2020, Elevation Worship released a new song called The Blessing. And as you likely all remember, the following week, our world in Canada turned upside down. Every hour, something else was closing, from professional sports leagues to schools to businesses and churches. And given that we don't have any centenarians among us, I think it's safe to say it was unlike anything we have experienced before. So the refrain in that song that Elevation released the week before goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So as you can tell, it's the blessing we just read from number six. Now, this song hit the top of the Christian music charts. It was even nominated for a Grammy, and the video has over 52 million views on YouTube. And not only that, but as you may have noticed, covers of this song started appearing from all over the world. There was a compilation from churches across the UK. There was another from Canada and New Zealand. Selena Gomez did a cover of it, and there's probably even like a Minions version or something out there. But some of these versions are better done than others, but my question is not with the quality, but with the quantity. Why did this song resonate so profoundly and reverberate around the world? So I'd like to suggest three reasons that we take a look at this morning. First of all, a good word. People wanted to hear a good word. They wanted something hopeful. We wanted an anchor, something to hold on to in the midst of the chaos. And the words from that blessing are good words. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you. Give you peace. These are beautiful, hopeful words. 
So let's dig a little bit deeper to see what people are drawn to behind these words. So this passage is from the book of Numbers, which is not the most dynamic book in the Old Testament. It might be a favorite book of accountants, but probably not poets. There's a reason the book is called Numbers. So this passage in chapter 6 comes right after outlining all these very particular and specific instructions. And these words are so striking in their, context, in their context. They stand out like ice cream on a hot day. These words are straight from the mouth of God himself. Verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. This conveys God's heart towards his people and his inclination towards blessing. As one commentator says, it is a provision for God's desire to bless his people. Blessing is his idea, his purpose. It is not something his people must beg for, but it is the outreaching of his grace. This is what the priests are told to pray over the people of Israel. Another commentator said, this is the Old Testament equivalent of the Lord's Prayer. It says, this is how you should bless people. This is how you should pray. Pray like this. Now, a blessing is simply asking uh, God's favor and protection. And so this prayer is God saying, ask for my favor and protection in this way. Oh, and by the way, I will give it to you. Benediction is Latin for good word, benediction. And we offer one another our own version of benedictions or good words often. Think about what you might say before you hang up the phone with a loved one. We want to leave one another with those words ringing in our ears. As far back as I can remember, every night my dad would come to say goodnight to me. And as he left my room and started walking down the stairs, he would pause on the stair closest to my door and whisper, Daddy loves Allison. It was this little game we would play. He would say it so quietly so that I would have to listen really carefully, but he would always make sure he said it loud enough so that I could hear. And then I would say back, Allison loves daddy. I think he wanted me to fall asleep knowing I was loved. With these last words, with his benediction ringing in my ears. That's what this blessing from God is like. In this passage, it mentions the face of God twice. The Lord make his face shine on you. The Lord turn his face towards you. This is a startling and profound statement. In Exodus 33, Moses asks to see God's glory, and the Lord says, you will see my goodness pass by you, but you cannot see my face. And here, the Lord tells them to pray that his face would shine on them and turn towards them. Face shining on them and turning towards them, this conveys attentiveness and delight. So attentiveness. This is a picture of God turning his attention directly towards you. The you here is singular. It's personal. His face shining on you, turning his gaze towards you. My mom tells the story of attending Urbana in her late teens. This was a tough time for my mom. Her family had recently emigrated from England to Canada, and at that time, England was a lot farther without email and social media, and even phone calls were really expensive. And my mom never had that feeling of like being exotic from another country with a cool accent. 
Rather, her experience was more like being an alien who dressed weird and talked funny and didn't understand any of the references people were talking about. She ended up going to Urbana, a big student missions conference for university students, and was feeling even more foreign and alien out of place in this American crowd. She went to hear one of the headlining speakers for the event, and after the event, there were swarms of people all around him. John Stott was a famous theologian, and at one, time, at one point, Time Magazine ranked him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. So my mom was standing in this huge room filled with all these people wanting to talk to Dr. Scott, when all of a sudden, he looked up and said, Liddell! And my mom said it was like the crowds parted to see who he was talking to. And then he walked forward, put his arm around her, and walked off saying, how good to see you. Now tell me about your old man. My mom had met Dr. Scott six months before, but the fact that he remembered her, this awkward teenager, recognized her, singled her out in that crowd at that particular time in her life is something she has never forgotten. That's turn your face towards. It's that feeling of being singled out in a crowded room. But in this case, the one really seeing you, the one catching your eye, the one who calls you by name and comes toward you is the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. Not only does this blessing imply an attentiveness, but also great affection. This is not being noticed, like getting caught with your hand in the cookie jar or a judgmental God who sees all the ways you don't measure up. This is his face shining on you. Some translators say smiling on you. There is a sense of delight and affection in the gaze of God towards you. These are good words. Words of blessing or promise, of attentiveness and affection. Another reason we're drawn to this blessing is comfort. March 2020 and the ensuing months have been a time of extreme chaos, uncertainty, and fear. These words from number six and quoted in this song are words of profound comfort. The Lord bless you and keep you or watch over you and protect you. That's exactly what you want to hear in the midst of fear, uncertainty, and chaos. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord show you favor. Yes, please. And the Lord give you peace. As we've said before, peace, or this Hebrew word for shalom in the original text, does not simply mean the absence of war. Rather, it means wholeness, things as they are meant to be, everything right in the world. And the Lord give you peace. The Lord give you wholeness, restore things to the way they were intended. This blessing really takes us back to the garden in Genesis where God walked freely with people. They could see him face to face. They were blessed as they held God's favor and protection. This is comforting. I often sing this song to my daughter Zoe at bedtime. It just sounds like something a parent should say, that a parent prays and wants and longs for their child. And I think that is why people have found comfort in it. You have this sense of being tucked under a mighty wing, of being held in strong arms, taken care of, sheltered, when you hear these words. At the heart of it, this blessing speaks to two, our two primary needs. Am I loved? And will I be taken care of? I remember this eureka moment for me after I'd worked with university students for years. 
I realized that if you peeled back enough layers on any problem or issue they were facing, you found one of two questions at the root. Am I loved or will I be taken care of? Love and security. And that's what God tells us to pray for and ask for here. His blessing and promise is not about material riches or even how long you will live. His blessing is his affection directed towards us, that he will keep watch over us and the, uh, we will remain in his presence. Finally, we're drawn to this because it reminds us that we are part of something bigger. We are not alone. This passage starts off as a message for the community, the Israelites, but this message is lived out in the life and experience of individuals. Within the blessing, the yous are singular. The Lord bless you specifically. The individuals are blessed as the community is blessed, and the community is blessed as the individuals are blessed. One of the moving parts about the UK blessing video was seeing all these churches from all over who normally operate on their own coming together with this message of hope. It was represented visually by seeing this collection of all these individual boxes, but together. It reminds us that we are blessed personally, but we are blessed personally because we are part of a community that is blessed together. This blessing is presence, attention, affection, and peace. When someone says this blessing over you, they are saying, may this be true in your life. When we receive this blessing, we say, yes, may this be true in my life. May I live as though this is true, because of course it is. It's drawing us back to the garden, to the place where God didn't hide his face from us. His face was turned toward us, and we lived in peace. Okay, that all sounds really nice, but we know that's not what most of our lives look like. For many of us, we come to a service on Sunday. We do our best to enter into a time of worship and confession. We try to listen to the word of God and appreciate the nice words spoken at the end. But then we walk out and Monday morning we feel no different. Or maybe even by Sunday afternoon we're yelling at our kids. As I said at the beginning, we're going to consider the story of someone who is stuck after the benediction. This person has just lived with the face of God turned toward them for three years, day in and day out, in the person of Jesus. Jesus has been gracious towards him, kept watch over him, given him a way of peace to live, but our friend is stuck, uncertain, angry with himself, and ashamed. And he's having a hard time moving forward, living into the benediction and commission he has received. The story is found at the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 21. But if the Gospel of John were a movie the credits would have started to roll around the end of chapter 20. So you know in those animated movies, when it finishes, you know to stay in the theater after the credits start rolling because there might be like an extra little funny bit at the end. Chapter 1 is kind of like, chapter 21 is kind of like that. So as D.A. Carson writes about the end of John 20, Jesus has risen, he has appeared, his ascension has been dealt with, the spirit he promised has been bequeathed, and his great commission solemnly uttered. What more is there to say? So by the end of chapter 20, Jesus has died, risen, appeared twice to his disciples, first on the Sunday after he died, and then eight days later. And he said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This has both a benediction, the blessing, the peace be with you, shalom go with you, and also the commissioning, which is also part of the end of our services. I am sending you. Go now in the way I have showed you. We are blessed to be sent. We leave with those good words ringing in our ears, not just to feel warm and fuzzy, but to live out those truths in service to the world. Okay, so the end of chapter 20, the credits are rolling and rolling and cutting into the credits we hear afterward. Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter is not living out the fullness of his calling. This is no spirit-filled mission. This is a spontaneous fishing trip, and they've caught nothing. Jesus has told Peter, on you I will build my church. And the Peter in this story looks nothing like the one we see later in Acts. Peter is stuck. And we're reminded here that Peter is a leader. Notice how he initiates, I'm going fishing, and then the others follow. So if Peter is stuck, they're all stuck. So why is Peter stuck? As we said, Jesus has risen and appeared twice to his disciples. But to understand, we need to go back a bit farther in the story, back to chapter 18. Right after Jesus is arrested, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. 
Peter, who hours before had told Jesus he was ready to die for him, the first time he's asked by a servant if he knows Jesus, says no. After Peter's denials, Jesus is killed and then rises again. But Peter still has his own words. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Ringing in his ears. So back to our scene. The fishermen have been out all night and haven't caught anything. Then this guy on the beach yells, hey, try over there. Right, what every fisherman loves to hear. But something prompts them to give it a try. And to their amazement, there are suddenly so many fish. They are swimming in fish and the nets are filled. One disciple now sees clearly the man on the beach. It is the Lord. And Peter, ever the impulsive one, jumps overboard and swims to shore. Landing on the beach dripping wet, Jesus looks up from the fire he has been cooking over and turns his face toward him and says, Breakfast ready. After enjoying breakfast on the beach, the camera zooms in on Peter. And the author shares three crucial details that are clues to understanding what happens next. First of all, John says Jesus was cooking over a charcoal fire. That term, charcoal fire, is only used one other time. John told us back in chapter 18 that Peter was warming himself over a charcoal fire when he was asked three times if he knew Jesus. The second detail. John tells us that Jesus asks him a question three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter has to answer. And the third clue, Jesus calls him Simon. He doesn't say Peter. The very first time that Simon meets Jesus, Jesus says to him, your name is Simon. But from now on, you will be called Peter. Simon means a reed swaying in the wind, but Peter means rock, like the nickname Rocky. And at that time, more than today, a name said something about your character. And indeed, Simon Peter has been acting more Simon than Peter, more of a reed swayed in the wind by the questions of others than a rock, sure of who he is and what he believes. So why these details, and what is Jesus doing? Well, think about what might be happening for Peter. The smell of the charcoal, the warmth of the fire, the light of the flames, hearing a question three times and answering with his own voice. With these cues, Jesus is taking Peter back to his place of shame, the moment that is holding him back. But why is Jesus doing that? Peter already feels badly enough. Why bring that stuff to the surface? Why remind him? Because Simon is to be Peter, the rock on whom the church will be built. And Jesus wants to see him live out his full rocky self. But this man in the boat catching no fish is not Peter. And so Jesus raises this place of pain, this sore spot, not to leave him there feeling ashamed or awkward or mad at himself, but to move him through the pain into healing, into wholeness, into peace and restored relationship. I've seen this in my own life and time and time again in the lives of those around me. Something will be brought up, some pain unsurfaced, and we think, why this? Why now? Haven't I dealt with this already? We just don't know what's happening. But that place being brought up is never to leave us in that place of pain, but to move us through into healing, into freedom, into purpose, into blessing and mission. So through this interaction, Jesus forgives 
and invites him to step back into his rightful calling as a fisher of people. Jesus has turned his face toward him, been gracious to him, kept watch over him, and given him peace. And the benediction is accompanied by the commission, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. The benediction is not just to leave us feeling good, but to send us out in the truth of the blessing into mission. For Peter, that doesn't mean fishing is wrong and instead he has to go to ministry. Jesus has already blessed his vocation by giving them an abundant catch and saying, let's fish for people. But it means his primary calling is to build the church. Take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. He could do that as a fisherman. He could apprentice young people about how to fish and be disciples of Jesus. They could use the catch of fish to help feed more of the vulnerable in the village. There are all kinds of ways he could live out his mission in fishing. He just wasn't doing it at that time. But he is forgiven and sent. In the passage in John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, Now that I have washed your feet, you also wash one another's feet. And then later, a new command I give you, love one another. And here, he says to Peter, if you love me, you will love my people, my sheep. You will love others on my behalf. I think many of us can identify with Peter. We've heard the good news. Maybe we have welcomed Jesus into our life, and yet we find ourselves doing the same old things, or we aren't sure what to do, or we're angry with ourselves and some failure, or there's some hurt that we can't get past. We are stuck. We want to live into the fullness of what we've received on Sunday mornings. We long for those words at the end of the service to be true, but we are stuck. Pay attention to those times when God is raising something for you. Maybe something from your past is coming up. Something you thought you had dealt with or a temptation you've been struggling to overcome. Whatever it is, if you notice something bubbling to the surface, instead of pushing it back down or asking why this Look for what Jesus might be offering you. He might have made a charcoal fire on the beach and be inviting you for a meal and a conversation. It might be a painful, awkward, or difficult conversation. But he is not bringing up this place of pain to leave you there, but to move you through into healing. Peter was held back from living out his full self and purpose. He was living out what Jesus warned him when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But see what happened when they fished alone versus when they fished with Jesus? They caught all the fish. What would it look like if we asked Jesus to be part of and infuse every aspect of our day? From the moment we walk out these doors or end the stream on the computer till we come back next week. What if we asked him to give us new eyes to see the work that we do and how he might be part of it? What would happen if we asked him to open our eyes to someone in our life who he was asking us to take care of or feed, maybe literally? For those of you who don't know, my title is the Director of Discipleship. And the thing that excited me most about this job when I started was that I said, oh, that's a job that's about the other six days of the week. It's not that Sunday doesn't matter. It's just that as the discipleship pastor, I want to help you think about what your faith means Sunday afternoon till Saturday night when you're with your grandkids, or talking to your neighbors, and when you show up in the office, or, I mean on the Zoom call, how might Jesus be offering you some holy imagination and creativity to think about how to love him and take care of the sheep in your midst? 
At the end of this story, Jesus says, follow me. And this follows a pattern in the Gospels where Jesus continues to invite people first to be with him and then to be sent out. First to love him, like he asked Peter, do you love me? And to receive love and forgiveness like Peter needed. And then to go and love others. And that's exactly what's happening with the benediction and the commissioning part of the service. Called to be with in the benediction, to know his love and affection, to see his attention turn toward us, and in the fullness of knowing who we are as his beloved children, the commissioning is to go out and love one another. I want to suggest we consider two questions. You don't need to think about both. Just see if one stands out for you. So first... Are you free to live out the good word and commission that you've been given, or are you stuck? Is there something that's holding you back from living your full self and purpose? Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, nothing you have done or thought or that's been done to you. He wants to free you and restore you, to see you live out your fullest, truest self. Maybe you haven't actually trusted him like that before, And you might simply name before him what's holding you back and ask for his help. Second question, is there a good word that you need to hear from God today? A benediction is meant to be a good word ringing in your ears. It's like if you only remember one thing from today, remember this. Is there a good word that you need to receive today? A word to ring in your ears. A word to say who you are and to remind you how God's attention and affection is turned right on you. So first question, are you being held back from living out your full self and calling? And if so, do you think that you could name that before Jesus and ask for his help? And second, is there a good word you need to receive, a word to ring in your ears today? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that if there is a place that we are stuck, that you long to bring us through into healing, that you would bring that to mind. And we trust that you are bringing that to mind, not to leave us there, but to move through into healing. So would you help us to name that before you and to trust you with that? And would you rescue us from being stuck? And Lord, I ask if there is a particular good word for us to hear today, that in the silence of this moment, you would speak that over us, and would you help us to hear the good word you might have for us? Lord, would you help us to leave in your truth, free to step into your mission. For we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.